think of people in the military, I think of people who exemplify selflessness, who are servants. And it's interesting to me that on this weekend we celebrate that and we're ending our series called Habits That Can Change Your Life. And, and that habit of serving is where Mike started in this series. He began to talk about the power of selflessness two weeks ago. He said, we break the power of self-centeredness in our life as we develop the habit of serving. And then last week, we looked at the power of generosity. And we break greed in our life as we develop the habit of giving. Now today, we want to talk about the power of relationships. We overcome isolation in our lives as we intentionally connect with others, with God, and with others in community. Now, how many of you have ever studied personality types, the four types of personalities, or you've done the Myers-Briggs um, personality inventory? Well, whenever I do those things, I always come out as a sanguine, being my number one. And in the Myers-Briggs, if you understand the, the, the letters that stand for things, I'm an ENFP, and the E stands for um, extrovert. So as an extroverted sanguine, I like people. I like a lot of people. The more, the merrier. And I like being a part of people. I like being a part of groups, a part of community, a part of a tribe, a part of a pack. And also as sanguines, we, we tend to be impulsive. So last October, I decided impulsively to become a part of a pack, the wolf pack to be specific. Yeah. Now, my family and I were down on the coast for a few days enjoying some sunshine, and, and uh, it was Saturday, and I decided to come back early. I drove back on my own to be here for the Saturday evening services, sat through the first service, and then I was, I was sitting there in the second service. I began to think, hey, you know, it's not often I get a night to myself. No responsibilities. What am I going to do? And I begin to check my phone to see what's happening around town. You know, not that you guys have ever not done that when we're speaking, right? So I'm checking, there's got to be something going on, and I see that Florida State Seminoles are in town to play the Wolf Pack. I can get there in time for the start of the game. So I check out to see if I can find some tickets. I, I text Jason Gore, one of our pastors. He was an all-star wrestler for State a few years ago. I thought, he's got some inside connections. But he texted back with some kind of lame excuse about having to go home to be with his wife and kids. <laughs> but I thought, you know what, I'm a sanguine. I can do this. I'm extroverted. Let me just go and try to find a ticket from a scalper, which is what I did. And I got a great seat on the five-yard line, about 20 rows up. And uh, I, I walk in there, and I just immediately loved the atmosphere. And as I began to look around and realize that everybody else except me was dressed in red, I began to get overwhelmed. 60,000 screaming fans, Wolfpack fans, and about eight very nervous very nervous Florida State fans. But in that moment, amid 60,000 people, I began to feel isolation. I began to feel lonely. Have you ever felt lonely in a big crowd? But then, you know, I, I got comfortable, and I got into it, and I really began to enjoy the game. And before I know it, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest Wolf fan, uh, Wolfpack fan there, and I'm howling with everybody, and we're having a great time. And it was a great game to be at. Uh, by the fourth quarter, it was 16-10 to 10 for Florida State with two minutes left in the game. And Florida State attempted a field goal that was blocked by the Wolf Pack. 
And then they got the ball back at the 42-yard line, and Mike Glennon marches state down the field and scores the winning touchdown right in front of me with 16 seconds left on the clock. The place came unglued. It was amazing. What an incredible atmosphere. It was so much fun. I mean, people are high-fiving, they're cheering, they're laughing, they're crying, they're hugging each other. Even the guy behind me, very obnoxious, only half sober, he had been yelling all game long at Mike Glennon and the coach. He tries to give me a hug, and I'm like, hey, buddy, how about a high-five instead? But in that moment, I felt community. I felt connected. I was a part of something bigger than myself. And what an exciting feeling for about five minutes till I found myself walking back to my car all alone. And then it hit me again. Hang on. You didn't go to state. I don't even know if I want to be an NC State fan. I mean, I had just arrived from Africa. I'm a Canadian boy who grew up playing ice hockey. You know, this is all culture shock to me. Do I want to be a State fan? I know Mike wants me to be a Duke fan. Do I want to be a UNC fan? I'm too new around here, so I hadn't decided yet. You know, and then I started thinking about Mike Lennon, and, and, and I realized he's the only guy on the team that I even knew his name. And they certainly don't know who I am. You know, and Coach O'Brien didn't come up to me at the end of the game and thank me for coming. He probably doesn't even know I exist. I didn't know the names of the people that were even standing around me. So that incredible feeling of connectedness that I had just sensed so strongly was that quickly gone as I got in my car to drive home alone. Sad, isn't it? But that's, that's kind of what we do. It's, it's what we, we try to run away from our feelings of isolation and loneliness by trying to find community or connectedness in the wrong places. Being a fan of a sports team or, or of an entertainer or of a TV series. My kids love The Voice, so we watch The Voice every week and you, you begin to feel like you actually know these people, but you've never met them. We don't know them. And then we even try to find community in social media, Facebook and Twitter and so on. And you know, social media has its place and it can be a great tool. But is it real community? I looked at my Facebook page this week and I realized that I have 680 friends on Facebook. Now, really, can I be a friend to 680 people? Or some of you have 1,237 people? How much of a true friend can we really be and connected in community? See, some of us think that we're in community, but we're settling for so much less. What does real, authentic, biblical community even look like? Is there a place where my loneliness could turn into growth? Who really knows me anyway? You know, and I begin to wonder, what was God's original design for these relationships, for connection? Were we created for more than just this? Did, we ha did he have some plan in mind, or did it just happen once he created more than one of us? What was God's initial intention in all of this? And so I want us to go back to the beginning and find out. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the very first book or the very first chapter of the Bible or on your phone, Genesis chapter 1. And let's take a look at the beginning and see what happened. Genesis chapter 1. Now let's face it. We've all had good weeks from time to time, but God is having a stellar week in Genesis 1. Stellar. I mean, the sun, the moon, the stars, mountains, the ocean, fish, animals, plants. Like, that's a whole lot more than any one of us could do in five days, right? And then we get to Genesis 1, verse 26. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
And you know, if you go back and you begin to study how God created the rest of creation, he did it by just speaking a word. He simply spoke things into being, let there be light, let there be water, let there be dry ground, and so on. And by the way, have you heard of the Big Bang Theory? I have my own Big Bang Theory. It goes something like this. When God said, let there be light, I'm sure there was some kind of bang involved. You know? I mean, he spoke things into existence. But then, when it came to creating us, God stops and he says, let's make man in our own image, in our likeness. You see, only man is created in the image and the likeness of God. And, and that phrase is special, image and likeness. It's the only time that those two Hebrew words uh, find themselves in the same sentence through the whole Old Testament. And the Hebrew word for um, image is actually to sculpt or to carve. And if you think about that, what an amazing thought, that God sculpted us. He carved us into his very likeness, into his resemblance. We are in the image and likeness of God. And then that's not referring to our, our physical body because God does not dwell in a physical body. But image and likeness refers to all that sets us apart from the rest of creation, like our intellect, our spirit, our will, our capacity for ethics and morality. It's what we refer to as our soul. Our soul is that part that makes us feel and emote and even cry in triumph at the end of a great movie like Rudy. It's those, that's where the emotions come from. It's that part of us that directs us to make the right decisions in life. Our soul gives us that internal sense of right and wrong, like when you try to or you decide to take something that you know is not yours. It's that part of us that makes us long for real connection with others. It's our soul that makes us long for real connection with our creator. God sculpted that in us. God created us to be relational with him. This is the way that life was supposed to work. It's our soul that makes us long for that. And only in that connection with God can this life ever really make sense. You know, it's, it's like that car that you drove on your way to get here, if you came in a car today. You can, you can wash your car, you can sit in your car, you can even pretend to drive your car. But until you put fuel or electricity into your car, you're not going to go very far. It's going to leave you wanting more because it was designed for more. But look at that verse again, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Notice the plural, us and our. One God existing in three persons. And this is what we refer to as the Trinity. Not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God in those three distinct personalities. God has always existed in perfect community. Now, I keep using this word community over and over again, but I like to think of community as this, common unity. And in God, we find the perfect example of community. Perfect unity in three distinct personalities. One of my favorite speakers and teachers is a man named Ravi Zacharias, and he has a famous quote when he's talking about the Trinity. He says this, Only in God do we see unity in diversity in the community of the Trinity. Now, if you think about that for a second, if that doesn't make your head hurt just a little, you're a whole lot smarter than I am. You know, seriously, we may never fully grasp the complexity of the Trinity, but the point is this. God is community, 
He created us in his image to experience community with him. But then God didn't leave us alone or even to connect with him on our own. He created us for one another. Look at Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. You know, if you were here last month when we were going through the He Said, She Said, God Said series, Mike used this verse a lot. And this verse comes up in weddings and when we're talking about the differences between men and women. But, but don't miss the first part of this verse. It says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. Like that, so if you were here at the beginning of the service, we started with a song that said perfectly lonely. There's nothing perfect about being lonely. We weren't created for that. We are designed to go through life with others, not by ourselves. You know, for me, as an impulsive sanguine, I'm dangerous on my own. I need others to protect me from me. You know what I'm talking about? To help keep me safe when I have a bad idea. But, you know, even if you're not extrovert, you're an introvert, we need each other. We need each other. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And then verse 12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, we saw this lived out this week in, in the town of Moore, or the city of Moore, Oklahoma. If you've been following that story, in, in the wake of a terrible tragedy and this incredible tornado that tore through there, real, true community prevailed. And that's what we were created for. From the beginning, that was the design. Community with God and community with each other, with each other's. But, but something went wrong because we know that we don't always live up to that original design. So what happened? Sin happened. Sin happened. And the effect of sin on the world is distortion. Things are not seen or experienced as they were intended to be experienced. Sin makes us think that we can live life on our own apart from God, that we can live life independently apart from truly knowing and lo loving and connecting with other people around us. Sin got in the way of our original design. But then Jesus reminds us in the New Testament, in Matthew 22, of that original intentional design. It goes like this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, this kind of intentionality will not just change our life. It will and it should direct everything that we do and everything that we say. If you simplify what Jesus is saying, he's saying, love God and love others. We see that same kind of emphasis later in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10. Here the, the writer of Hebrews is addressing these, this group of Christ followers who is in the midst of a great persecution, and he's trying to encourage them and tell them, hey, keep, keep your mind, keep your eyes focused on what's really important right now. So he says this in verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
You see, the writer of Hebrews knew that if these followers of Christ were going to make it through this current persecution that they were facing, they must continue to put their trust in God as their source of hope. Not their trust in themselves, not their trust in their intellect, not even their trust in each other, but their trust in God, because God is faithful. But he also knew that the readers could not do it alone. They couldn't go it alone. They would only stand firm and overcome this persecution if they did it together as a community, as the body of Christ. Because remember, we are designed to connect with God and to connect with each other. So he continues this thought in verse 24 and 25. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Consider how we may spur one another on. I love that word consider. There's so much intentionality in it. And when we're building habits, we need to be intentional about it. He's saying intentionally consider, intentionally think about it. And yeah, there are times when thinking hurts, at least for me. But he's saying think about how you can spur your brothers and sisters on. Think about how you can cheer each other on to the greatest moments. You know, it reminds me of being at that state game in that last-minute scoring drive in the midst of 60,000 cheering fans, and they were able to pull it off. How many of us have had our greatest moments in life when we were completely alone? Not, probably not that many. You know, I think of Usain Bolt. I don't know how many of you like watching the Olympics. He's the fastest man alive, and he just keeps blowing up these world records. But he doesn't do it when he's alone in his practice session. He seems to rise to the occasion... And, you know, set a new world record when he's running in front of over 100,000 people in, in the stadium. And he knows that there's millions of people cheering him on watching TV. That's when he breaks the record. You know why? Because we are wired. We're wired to achieve our greatest potential when we're being cheered on, cheered on and supported by those who love us. Those who are around us. And the same is true for our journey with Christ. The same is true for our spiritual walk. We need to spur one another on to the greatest good that we can do for the kingdom of God. Not giving up meeting together, he says, as some are in the habit of doing. I love the fact that he's talking about habits. I mean, fits so perfectly in this series. And we all know the power of good habits and the power of bad habits. And apparently some of the people he was talking to were beginning to get into a bad habit of not meeting together. You know, they were coming up with their excuses that we so often do. I'm busy. Ah, uh, sorry, you know, i got to run my kids around. Things are going on. And he's saying, no, you guys are in the midst of persecution. You have an enemy who's trying to defeat you. He said, don't give up the habit. Or don't get into the habit of not meeting together. But instead, intentionally meet together. And do so more and more. And the type of gathering that he was talking about is not a gathering like this. It was not a large church setting in the New Testament church, mostly they met in homes or other small gatherings, but particularly during times of persecution because they wanted to avoid um, public places. And so they would, he was talking about meeting together as small groups. And if you think about it, growing in our relationship with Christ, living up to our greatest potential for the kingdom of God, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, all of these things are much harder in a large group setting like this than they are in a small group. 
And that's why we're so big around here on small groups. So if you haven't done so, you need to intentionally connect with a small group. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, and then c- continue to be intentional about meeting together. So what does all of this mean? This original design that God had for us. What's the bottom line in all of this? Well, it's twofold, really. First, connect with God. Connect with God. There's nothing in this planet that will bring us greater satisfaction or hope or faith than when we truly connect with God. When sin entered the world, it messed this whole relation thing, this relationship thing up, and things got ugly. And when you look around the world, you can, you can see the effects of sin, right? You see that we all try to live life naturally like it's all about us. We become selfish at the core of us if we're not careful. We just begin to do whatever we have to do in order to take, in order to get, in order to acquire whatever we can, fame, fortune, experience, material wealth. You know, there's that saying that he who dies with the most toys wins. Is that true? No, we know that's not true. And this, this kind of individual thinking, it leads to relational devastation in our lives. It, it leads to relational breakdown in our marriages, in our families, at work, in our friendships, and even between countries. And it starts with this mentality. I can do it on my own. I did it my way. I'll do it my way. You know, God, I don't, I don't need you. I don't need your help. The Bible says it like this. We all, like little children, have run away from home. Or elsewhere it says that all of us, like sheep, have run away from our shepherd, not knowing what is best for us. And the truth is, is that there's a consequence to this type of mentality, to this attitude. And that consequence is that God will allow us to make that decision. God will allow us to live life on our own, apart from him. And that leads to death and to separation, not only in this life, but for eternity. But see, in our sinful condition, we cannot, we could not reconnect with God on our own. That sin kept us from that. We needed someone to intervene for us. But thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the good news of the gospel. Somebody did intervene for us. God loved us so much. He so loved us that even after we had run away, even with this individual attitude, God was not content to let us try to live life on our own, to try to figure it out. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus, perfectly God, perfectly man, to come and to die and to make a way for us to be in relationship again with God. You see, when when Jesus died on the cross, it bridged that gap, the gap that there was between a holy God and sinful people. Jesus and his blood and his death on the cross bridged that gap and made it possible for us to reconnect. And it's all because of God's love for us. It's all because of his love. So if you're here this evening and you didn't realize how loved you were or that God loves you, it's true. God loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you. Maybe today is the day that you decide to take that step to believe, to put your faith in what Jesus did, to to come back to your creator, to reunite with your heavenly father who loved you that much, that he'd rather die than live without you. 
Or maybe your step, maybe you're not quite there, and maybe the next step for you is, is to just come back next week. Encourage you to keep checking this God thing out, this Christianity thing out, if you're not quite ready to make that decision. Or maybe the next step for you is just to find a friend. Maybe it's a friend who brought you here tonight or who's been bringing you to hope, and, and you know that they have a relationship with God. Invite them out for breakfast or lunch and say, hey, I've just got some questions about this whole God thing, and, and talk more about it. Maybe that's the next step for you. But if you're here today and you're already a Christ follower, what's the next step for you? What is your next step? And I'd like to ask you, is it, is it, is it being more intentional about reading Scripture, about praying and developing that relationship with God? Is there an area of your life that you've been holding on to that you're not letting God into? You haven't completely surrendered. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your work life. Maybe it's, it's some relationship. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's... It's even your thought life. You know that you haven't completely surrendered your thought life to God. Or maybe it's what Mike was talking about the last two weeks. It's taking that step to begin to serve, to take that step of faith to begin to trust God with your resources and to be generous and give. For life to make sense the way it was intended to, we must connect with God, but we must also connect with others. Now, do we have any Shark, fan, Shark Week fans in here tonight? Anybody like Shark Week or Discovery Channel? It's mostly guys putting up their hands. I don't know what it is about us guys, but, you know, we love watching great white sharks eat things or people or whatever the case is, right? You know, ladies, that might be just a little weird for you, but guys, we just like that kind of thing. I love Shark Week, and I remember watching this one episode, and, they're, uh, you know, the, the host says... They're, they're on the water, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we are right here off the coast of Cape Town in a boat, and today we want to test a theory. We, we have put chum in the water. We have added blood to the water to attract the great white sharks, and we are testing a theory, and here's our theory, that it seems obvious to us that a pack of seals are far less likely to be attacked than a single seal. So what they do is they, they put a pack of rubber seals, decoys, off the side of one side of the boat. And on the other side of the boat, they put one single rubber seal decoy. And they wait to see what's going to happen. And you wait with anticipation. And then the camera pans to this one lonely rubber seal until suddenly... That is awesome. <laughs> 25 foot long, great white shark, and I'm glad it's a rubber seal and not me, right? I mean, that is incredible to watch. The power. It's also a little bit scary to watch. And then at the end of the show, the host holds up this mangled piece of rubber and this rope, and he says, just as we suspected, it seems obvious to us that if you're ever in shark-infested waters, you ought to stay together. You know, or, and you'll be far less likely to be attacked by a great white shark. Good thing to know, isn't it? You know, I may be overstating it, but I may have just saved your life. <laughs> I'm not planning on intentionally getting into shark-infested waters, especially with great white sharks. But if I do, I'd prefer to be there with all of you. Because then, I don't have to just outswim the shark. I, I just need to swim faster than you. <laughs> but see, even in nature, even in 
God's created world and in animals, we see the power of numbers. We see that there's safety in numbers, and we see the significance of connecting together. We see the significance in community. We'd like you to watch this story about a young couple in our church who is beginning to experience this kind of significance in community. Watch the side screens. I'm Will. I'm Shelby. And this is our small group story. We're happily engaged and getting married in July. Individually, I knew that God was the center of my life, but um, I wanted to make sure before even getting married, too, that that, that was going to be the center of our lives. Individually, you know, we both were Christians. When we started um, getting farther into our relationship, you know, we noticed that this, that was the one spot that was missing, our spiritual. Everything else was, was there. Um, but sp spiritually, together, we, we were, there was like a hole. And I think the small group was the one thing that was missing. Um, it was very obvious once we, once we finally joined. I think our relationships with um, the people in our small group have been awesome. Um, for me personally, I'm in college, I'm still in college now, and I haven't built, I haven't had that like group of girlfriends. And I mean, at least group, a group of girlfriends that are my age. And um, so it's been great to kind of look up to girls who are older than me that are wiser and mature. For Shelby, I mean, I looked at her, I look at her now completely different than I did before. Um, you know, she, I mean, and, and that's true, and that's true, and maybe she just found this out now, but I mean, she was, she was um, very, very introverted, and she was the one who reached out to get us in a small group. Um, she's the one who take that, took that leap of faith. She started speaking up in front of our 15 small group people, which I would never have thought. You know, and I looked at her, I was like, wow, you know, we can, we can do this. Small group is not perfect by any means. It's not the... You come to somebody's house and you sit there and you look and read the Bible and you read verses and you, you know go back and forth. I mean, it's so much more than that. It's just you know, let's go out to eat one night and let's all hang out. Or you know, one night we just opened up and we all made dinner together. Um, and there's like I think like ten of us at the time and we just went around the table and just told each other's testimonies. Like we just came out and said, and that was our small group for the night. Like that was just it was just fellowshipping and just. Um, opening up and telling you know about ourselves and yeah we knew each other but we didn't know that stuff deep inside I would encourage folks to just give it a shot you know for us we, one of the things that we always said was we don't have enough time 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 you know we're getting married and we have a hundred things going on but I wouldn't miss a small group for the world you know and I, I, I would encourage every single person to do it if you're not in the small group then um, you're missing out. It's, it's as simple as that. It's um, absolutely life-changing. Um, Shelby and I wouldn't be where we are right now if it was not for our small group, and I, I believe that 100%. I mean, you won't know unless you try it. I mean, you never know that this really could be life-changing. You're crazy not to be in a small group. It's really, it's, you know, it's really, it's changed our lives that much. You're crazy not to be in a small group. I love that. And you know, I also love the fact that Shelby is introverted. Because sometimes we begin to think, you know, Doug, it's fine for you. You're a sanguine. You're extroverted. You know, small groups are really made for people like you. No, no, no. Small groups are for all of us. Because God created us in his image, in the image of, of community, and he created us to connect with one another. 
And so small groups is something that we believe is for everyone, and there's power in those communities, and there's significance. Here, here's the power of connecting in a small group. You get to share your struggles and fears with each other. You don't have to have it all together. There's, there's real support. There's real connection. You get your questions answered, or hopefully at least some of your questions answered. You, you have that encouragement and encouraging one another to grow in your relationship with Christ. You actually get to know people, and they get to know you and your stuff and their stuff. And it makes this large church feel smaller again. You know, and it also makes church a lot more fun. I know a lot of small groups that have chosen to serve together in one of the ministries on the weekend or uh, during the week, and they do it as a small group, and it just, it just makes serving that much more fulfilling and that much more fun. And so there's so many great things about small groups. And, you know, we as a church, we've been on a journey in this whole small group thing. About one year ago, we had around 75 adult small groups, and that would represent about 600 adults meeting in small groups uh, through Hope. And this last year, we decided going into 2013, we're going to put an even greater emphasis on small groups because we believe this stuff so much. So through a series that Mike did in January, a community series, and we had a relaunch or a launch of small groups in February, right now we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 adult small groups, and that represents 1,600 adults that are meeting in these small group communities in and around the triangle. Now I keep saying adults or adult small groups because our family ministries around here, they're way ahead of us. They're amazing. I mean, Small groups is such a natural part of what happens regularly, weekly in the Kid City ministry and in middle school ministry and in high school ministry. They get it. They're already there. But for us adults, sometimes we're the slow learners. So if you're not yet in a small group, we want to encourage you to do that. And we're serious about this thing. Small groups is not going away. You know, it's probably best if you're not in a small group, just decide now, I'm going to make peace with small groups. I'm going to make peace. I'm going to, I'm going to join a small group. I'm, uh, you know, we have about 5,000 adults who regularly come to our weekend services in all three campuses. And we would love to see the day where everybody who calls Hope their church are connected in one of those small group communities. So I want to give you a chance right now before we close to do something like that. If you take your smartphone out, I'm just going to give you a chance to do this with me right now. Take your smartphone or your iPad or whatever out if you have it and uh, go to your Get Hope app because we've been talking about this app for a long time, so I know you've downloaded it, right? If you haven't downloaded it, make sure you do off of the App Store. But on the Get Hope app, or if you don't have the app, you can go to gethope.net, the website. You're going to find this Connect Me button. You've seen us talk about this or if you've been around here for a while. If you just connect, uh, click on that Connect Me button, it will say Get Started with Small Groups. You click on there, it's going to ask you for some personal information for your name, um, for your address, uh, for your email address, your, your, post, your zip code. Um, are you looking for a group where children are welcome or that has child care? Are you interested in helping lead a small group, yes or no? And then you just click submit and then somebody will get back to you this week and help you begin to uh, connect with a small group that's in your area. You know, while we're on the app, I just want to remind you of the other emphasis in this series. You know, Mike, two weeks ago, was talking about serving, and right there under the green button on the app, Connect Me, is a yellow button, Serve. Just try it. Serve. Just try it. We think you'll like it. And, you know, many people have actually hit that button and have contacted us, and 
they are beginning to serve, even just to try it out, to, to, to go in the parking lot and serve as one of the roadies or to help in the nursery just for a week and to see what it's like to serve the babies, whatever the case is. And we want to encourage you, if you haven't taken that step yet, to do so and just serve. And then right under that yellow serve button, interestingly enough, is what Mike talked about last week, giving. If you hit that giving button, it just takes you to a give online now. And if you click that, it will take you to the website and you can begin to give online or no, but you know, the point is not that you would give us money. The point is that you begin to live in such a way that you realize that everything you have is God's. Everything God has blessed you with is, at the end of the day, it's his. It, it, the talents, the resources, the time, the money that he has given you. We want you to realize that being generous is giving those things back to God and saying, God, how do you want me to use my time? How do you want me to use my money? So we want you to serve and to give and to connect. So in this series, we've talked about habits that can change your life. But God set the example for us. He never asked us to do something that he first didn't give us the example for. He served, and he continues to serve. That's why we serve. He gave, and he is continuing to give, and that's why we give. And he is a relational God, and he created us in his image to connect with him and to connect with others. So I challenge you. Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you connecting? You know, we're going into the summer months. This is a great time of the year to, you know, decide to do something new. Don't, don't just make this another summer like every other summer where we just hang out at the pool or go to the beach or go on family vacation or go to Disney. All those things are great. I'm not saying don't do those. We're going to do those. We're going to do some of those ourselves. But Going into these summer months, intentionally decide that this summer is going to be the summer that you begin a habit that can change the rest of your life. But the decision is up to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for these incredible reminders. Some of us have known these truths for many, many years, and it's great reminders for us. Some of us in this room may be hearing it for the first time, that there's a loving God who designed me in his likeness, in his image, to connect with him and to connect with others. Lord, thank you for the reminders that we see in Scripture, that theme of connecting with you and connecting with others all through the Scriptures. We thank you for that. And God, I want to just pray for the people that are in this room right now. Some may be struggling with that decision, not knowing if they've really ever taken that step to step out in faith and accept you and accept your gift of salvation. I pray that you would infuse their heart with faith right now and encourage them to step out and accept you, to accept your love and your gift of grace. And God, for those of us in this room who maybe have been walking with you for years, Lord, we can always go to another level in our relationship with you. So clearly today, show us what is that next step in our relationship with you? What is that next or some of those next intentional habits that we need to develop in our relationship with you and even develop in community with other believers? So God, we thank you for that and we do pray that you would help us to live this summer in intentional habits, intentionally connecting with you and intentionally connecting with others. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.